possibly one more. I was I was studying, and and you might notice this from time to time, but uh, on on any given Sunday, it, it seems like I've got more content than I can fit into the time allotted. And I realized this week, I'm like, wait, I'm I'm the pastor. Um, <laughs> I I can spread this out a little bit. I don't have to follow some set schedule. I'm like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take our time. Because I, I know I don't know about you, but sometimes when you get too much at once, it's like, okay, I can't process all of that. And, uh, and so I want to make sure that we're addressing and, and chewing on this material and these passages in a way that allows us and gives us the place to engage with it in our hearts before we kind of move on to the next thing. This is especially important in this series in the Overcoming Fellowship and talking about the church. Because I believe with all my heart, if we miss this then everything else we do is just spinning our wheels. And so this is really critical. It's really important. So we're going we're gonna to hang out in Ephesians 4, like I said, today, probably next week, and we'll just kind of see where, where it takes us. Um, the, the other passages that you want to open your Bible to, uh, Romans chapter 14 and 1 Corinthians 14 are the other places that we're going to land this morning, and there will be a brief reference in the book of Hebrews, but you don't necessarily have to turn there. We started talking last week about equip, being equipped for service, and we've been working with this definition of the church. Who, we, who are we as the church is really the question that was posed uh, quite a few weeks ago when we started this series, and, and I presented this definition of the church. We can get that on the screen. The definition of the church is this, and this is not, a, this is not an official stance. This is something that uh, that that I've formed and I, I, I borrowed some of it from a friend of mine, and we've kind of shaped this and, and hammered this out, but I think it works pretty well. The church is a community of people called out from every nation on earth to display, demonstrate, and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth so they might turn to him and live. So the ecclesia... Kaleo, the root word there, we're called out. We're called out of the world. We're called out of our sin. We're called out of our past. We're called out of the things that we were stuck in and into something amazing. And so we're called out and called into, just like the children of Israel were called out of slavery and into the promised land. And there was something amazing waiting for them there that God has called us out, not just for our sake, but but for the sake of others. We're called out to display, demonstrate and declare God's nature, God's ways, and God's truth to all who live on the earth. Why? So that they can see God and make the same decision to follow him that each, each one of us uh, hopefully has made. To follow Jesus and to, to live in his ways. We talked last week about the fact that the overcoming church is a place where the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. That the people of God are equipped to do the work of God. There's a very specific purpose and design behind the church. What God has designed into this body of believers, into this, if you will, into this institution. And it's not a spectator sport. And we've established that. We've talked about that a lot. I don't want to rehash a lot of old things. But, but we've talked about the fact that this is not a spectator sport. We use the analogy of the pep rally, right? This is a pep rally, but it's not the game. But this is critical, and it's important, and has a place in the life of the believer. Talked last week out of Ephesians 4, and Paul talking to the Ephesian church saying, hey, there are those those that have been given to equip the, the, the church, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And he talks about the leadership, the fivefold ministry, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, or the pastors, and the teachers. And he says in Scripture here that those leadership roles are a gift to the church. Now, that, that sounds kind of self-serving when a pastor says, hey, I'm a gift to you. But, but that's what God is saying in the Word. 
Not like, not like I bring anything special in and of myself, but the reality is, is that God's anointing on my life as a pastor and those that serve in a leadership role are given to you. We're here to serve you so that you would be fully equipped to realize the things that God has called you to, the ministry that he's called you to. Everyone, would, would you just say with me this morning, on the count of three, would you say, I am a minister, okay? One, two, three. All right, you are a minister. I feel like we're going to get our blood flowing a little bit this morning. Um, You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we've used that word, right? Ministry becomes this professional thing. Talk talk last week about when you call the professional. Hey, I got a, a plumbing leak in my house. Some people, like me, are crazy enough to try and fix it ourselves. At some point, though, you realize, I need to call someone. I need professional help. And how that thinking has made its way into the church, where all of a sudden the work of the ministry is done by the professionals and the work and the role of the people is just to support the ministry, right? We use that term, hey, support this ministry, rather than I have a ministry that I've been called to and I need to engage in that. So the role of leadership is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you have a responsibility to be equipped. You have a responsibility before the Lord because of his call on your life, his anointing on your life, because of what he's done for you to say, Lord, what is it you want to do in my life? How do you want to equip me for the thing that you've called me to? And so you see how it's a, it's a very active thing. It's not a passive thing. It's not one of these deals where you just show up and go, okay, would you just download something into my brain and hopefully something sticks, right? If if you, well, we've all gone to school. I was to say, if you've ever been to school, we've all been to school. And you know that the difference between a student who thrives and a student who struggles really is about how they're posturing outside of learning disabilities or anything like that. When it just comes down to, hey, am I learning? Am I, am I actually retaining the information? It comes down to the, 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 case, the case being, am I ready to receive? Am I being teachable? Do I want to be taught? And for students that hunger for, for learning, man, God, you're going to be met in that place. Same thing for the church. When we come to the Lord and say, God, do something of an equipping in my life, God says, great, I'll meet you there. We have to be ready to receive. So those are the things we talked about last week. Well, this morning, I want to focus on this. The fact that in Ephesians 4, we'll see in a minute, places a responsibility on, each, on us to build each other up. That you are responsible for each other and you have a responsibility to each other. That you're responsible for the people sitting around you. Because God has called you to that. And he's given what you, you what you need to be able to speak into their lives and be a blessing to that to them. And so this morning, we're going to focus on moving from the, 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 the role of leadership to what's the role of each one of you in the body of Christ to build each other up. Sound good? All right. So we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read verse 7 through 16 this morning uh, and revisit this passage, kind of set our focus, and then we'll jump, jump right back in. So verse 7, but to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascend mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. I want to stop there for a second because I realized last week I didn't, I didn't really unpack that a little bit. And there's a little, there's a little passage there, a few lines that you go, well, what does that even mean? It sounds a little convoluted. Paul's referencing an Old Testament passage, which was important. They always look back to you know, what, what it was said before and tying those things to Old Scripture. When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gift to, gifts to his men. The picture here is a king who goes to battle and conquers. And what does he come back with? He comes back with the spoils. He comes back with the riches of that land. And what the king does is he then brings those riches and he gives it to the people. He distributes it to the people that are there. 
God is saying to us here, he says, Jesus came and he won this victory at Calvary. He defeated the enemy and, the, and, and out of that victory that there are spoils, there are riches that came out of that and the rich, those riches that are something that he wants to bless his church with. That he wants to give us what we didn't have before because of the victory that he attained for us. So that's, that's all that, that that passage, what that verse means right there. Continuing in verse 11. It was he, the one who had the authority to give, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That word equipped, that word equipped we talked about last week is the the Greek word kartetizo or kartetismos. And it speaks of a complete furnishing or an outfitting, fully readied. It's one word with three meanings. The first being the mending of the broken, that the church is a place where the, those who are broken can be mended. Can we agree that there are broken people in church, right? And, and, and we live in a world, and unfortunately we live in a culture where when you're on the outside looking in, a sense that the people have of the church is, well, you've got to be perfect or you've got to fit some kind of model to go there. At the very least, and at the worst, that people actually do show up, and when they show up in church... What they were on the receiving end is like the looks like, oh, man, who let you in? And there's so many places in the church that we've been guilty of that. But this is a place where the, the broken can be mended, that God wants to mend the broken. We talked about Jesus calling the disciples, and they're on the shore fixing their nets, mending their nets. Why? Because broken nets mean lost fish. God wants to mend us. Why? So that we can be cast out into the the neighborhood, into our city, and into the world and and catch people. But broken people have a hard time catching other people. And so he wants us to be whole. The second meaning being being fully prepared for a purpose, being fully equipped and prepared for a particular purpose in life. And then the third thing was the restoring of the fallen. Those who have been walking with the Lord and make a mistake. It happens, right? It happens. It's happened here. We, it's happening in our lives. It's right. I, I know that in a, in a room with this many people, there are people who are like, man, I was doing well for a while and then I wasn't doing so well. And how many people find the back door of the church and go, you know what? I messed up. I made some big mistake and I'm done. I can't be here anymore. And God's heart is no, 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 no. This is a place of restoration where we gently and lovingly restore people back to the purpose of, of God that God has for their lives. One word, three meanings. To be equipped. Well, we have a role in that. So here's a question I want to ask you this morning. How can the grace of God in your life and my life serve to build each other up? How can the grace of God in my life serve you to build you up? And how can the grace of God in your life serve other people to build them up? See, because in Ephesians here, Paul says that there's this grace that's been given as Christ measured it. He apportioned it. That each one of us has received this measure of grace. And it's awesome. But then he's like, you gotta, you've got to do something with it. It's not just for you. So how can the grace that's been apportioned to you, that's been measured out to you, how can that then become a blessing to the people around you? You have gifts to give other people. You are a gift to other people. And sometimes we hang on to those gifts 
We don't share them. There's a passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Starts with this phrase, and let us consider. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to consider. Let us consider. In fact, if I were to rename this message from equipping or if you do a little subtitle, I would, I would call it, let us consider. You can, if you're taking notes, write that right across the top of your page. Let us consider. Hebrews 10, 23, 20 through 24 says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So I've highlighted some of these words. Let us consider. It's a great word, consider. Let's consider the word. What does consider mean? It means to show in this context, to show a kindly regard or an awareness of others, to pay attention to. Have you ever engaged with someone or, 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 or talked to someone or come across someone who's just so focused on what's going on there in their lives that, that, that there's nothing else, right? You're trying to have a conversation and it just always comes back to what's going on in their lives, right? Have you ever been there? And it's just a one-sided conversation. Or someone um, that, that's more interested in, in, in the, their own uh, situation, what's happening in their lives. There's a story that's told of um, the former prime minister of England. In fact, two of them. There's one a, a prime minister named Chamberlain and then one named Churchill. And there's a lady, the story is, goes this way. This lady uh, meets both of these men at, at some point. And a friend was talking to her and said, well, what was it like meeting Chamberlain? She said, wow, I walked away thinking, man, he, he's the most important man in the world. He is amazing. He's incredible. And he said, well, what was it like when you met Churchill, when you walked away from meeting Churchill? She said, I walked away feeling like I was the most important person in the world, that I was incredible. See, we have the ability in our lives and the opportunity in our lives to make people feel so valuable. The problem is, though, is when we focus on our own situations and we don't pay attention, when we don't consider each other, there's a devaluing that takes place. And we've both been, we've all rather been on the receiving end and on the giving end, right? At some point, we've probably been at both places where you're, man, you're just trying to get someone's attention and it's not happening. And they're so focused on themselves. And at the same time, we can be guilty of the same. And so Paul's warning, I mean, the writer of the Hebrews, rather, the warning here is let us consider. Let us consider. Let's stop for a second and pay attention to the people that God's placed in our lives and ask the question, how can the grace of God in my life be a blessing to this person? To really think about it, to consider it. Consider what? how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. To, spur, to encourage each other in the Lord and to, to point each other towards the things that God has for us. And he goes on to say, let us encourage one another. Let us encourage one another and all the more. And as we see that day approaching, that day being when Jesus returns. Let us encourage each other. I want to talk about how we minister to each other this morning. What does that look like in the church? I want to do some practical things, talk about some practical things, uh, and, and what that looks like in a local body, in a local believer, an individual believer. I think sometimes we just kind of hope it happens or it happens by accident, but how much more effective we would be if we would purpose to do these things in our lives, if we would set out each day, Imagine if we came to church on a Sunday morning going, Lord, I'm trusting that today you're not just going to give me a word, that I'm not just going to sit and receive, but Lord, would you give me a word? Would you speak to me? Would you highlight someone today who I can be an encouragement to? Now we come ready to give, ready to impart something to someone as the Lord would give us opportunity to do that. So I want us to talk about two things. We're going we're gonna to talk about considering our conscience. Considering our conscience or considering your conscience. How do you minister to each other? First thing is this. You have to consider your conscience. And then we're going to talk about speaking God's word, God's inspired word over each other. 
Ephesians says that we need to be built up, not just built up, that we need to be built up in love, that God has called us to, to impart something of a, of a loving kindness into each other's lives that would allow us and give us the space and the opportunity to grow. And that love, it's so key. We've talked about agape. Paul talks about agape, and everything is rooted in love. He keeps coming back to love because we can, we can have an impact in each other's lives that's devoid of love. And I'm going to tell you right now, it's never going to be a positive impact. If, unless the things that we're supposed to be doing and speaking into each other's lives, are, are, if they're not rooted in love, they're going to do damage. And Paul always comes back to love. He says in verse 12, we're called to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So that we would be built up. The picture here being that that what I am today and who we are today is not the same as what we are tomorrow. Right? Have you ever built a house or being a part of a building project? Maybe you've been on a missions trip and you're doing some kind of construction. Uh, the, the amazing... Uh, joy that there is to be able to stand back at the end of the week and say, man, we started with a dirt lot, and now at the end of the week, there's a house. If you've ever built a home, to, you go back and visit, and you watch the contractors and the subcontractors working, and, and, and one day it's just a foundation, and the next day there's the, the frame, framing is up, and then the next day you know the plumbers are coming in, and the electricians are coming in, and they're running the wiring and everything, and each day there's this progress until one day you're given the keys, right? You're handed a key to open this door, and you walk into your house. There's progress that takes place. The same picture here for the church. Paul's saying that we need to be built up. That means that who I am today and who we are today as the church, God's saying, I don't want you to just stay there. I don't want you to camp out and be comfortable and relax and say, this is good. This is good. I'm, I'm good. I'm good with the framed walls. No real roof over my head. Or maybe I get to the roof and uh, there's plywood down. But no, that's good. And God's like, no, when it rains, it's going to be a problem. Right? We don't deal with snow much, but it gets cold, right? It gets cold both days. Um, and if you're sleeping in a house that has no walls, that's a problem. You know, for so many believers, we settle and go, hey, I'm good. I've, I've got the, the structure, and it kind of it it resembles a house. It's got, got some of the key parts there. God's like, you're not done. That we need to be built up. That means that each day we're adding something to our lives that causes us to look not like a house, but to look more like Jesus. Because we've been conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. In verse 16, he says, "From From him, Jesus Christ, the whole body, joined and held together with every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work just such a practical picture and when my arm my arm is broken right if i if i've if i've torn something in my arm or there's a ligament that's been strained or or broken and my arm's not going to function the way it's supposed to function God says you've been given to the body, each one playing its part in a loving way, and then you're held together. Love that. You're held together. Held together. So that you're not just fragmented all over the place. That God's desire for his church is that we would help hold each other together. So I would never say, you know what, I'm done. You know, I, I hit my, 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 my left thumb with a hammer, and it just hurts, and it's all swollen. And you know what, I just get, you know what, it's damaged. We're just done. We're just going to cut it off and be done with it. That would be foolishness. You know what ends up happening when you're hurt in your physical body is the rest of your body focuses on that point. Right, your system just like kicks in. Your brain thinks there's chemicals that are flowing, and right, simplifying this way down. But things start happening. Your blood vessels, right, and their white blood vessels are there. And man, there's, there, you know, if you're in pain, there's all kinds of, you know, glands that are secreting all kinds of stuff to help you cope with the pain. And your body gets focused on that one part that's injured and says, "Let's make this better." 
Yet so often in the church, what happens is maybe someone comes in and they just got hit with something that week. And they come in and, man, their emotions are a little swollen. Right? And they kind of rub you the wrong way. Or you, hey, how you doing? And you get this. And you're like, forget you. I don't have time for that. Someone comes in and they've had a horrendous week, but they come in and they put the smile on their face because I'm supposed to be a church and God, I know you have something for me. But they're not their chipper self. And people walk out going, well, what was their issue today? What was wrong with them? And the church has become so quick to cut people off. By the church, I'm not talking about the institution. I'm talking about us. And the very people that need the care and the love are the ones who don't get anything. And God says, I'm going to hold each one of you accountable for those relationships. That we will be held accountable for those relationships, those people that God put in our lives. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. You were in a place where you were hurting and, the, and someone in the church... Someone who should have known better cut you off or hurt you. That's why God says, I've designed my church to be a place of mending. Because we're an imperfect people and we're working on getting better. What would it be like if the church of Jesus Christ would rally around those who are hurting? And we would care enough to say, I don't know what's happening, but I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. Not to assume anything about each other. In fact, if we assume anything, that we assume the best. That we assume that God is doing something. We assume that, man, they didn't mean to say it that way. I'm assuming that there's something else in your life, something going on that caused you to react in that way, respond in that way. We've all been there. Has anyone here ever said something they wish they hadn't said? Or said it in a way you wish you hadn't said it? Look around. It's everybody. We've all been there. Right? And God says, let's build each other up. Let's be that for each other. You see, we, we've talked about this when it comes to love. Why built up in love? Because in love, in agape, I give up my rights. I don't have the right to be offended. I don't. Well, I went to church, and you won't believe what that person at church said to me. You know, I don't have the right to be offended. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume the best. And they probably just had a rough week. I'm just going to pray for them that God would just bring breakthrough in their life and minister peace to them. And so he, we're built up in love. We're built up in agape because agape clears the way of all of the funkiness that can invade and come into the church. It says, no, there's no room for that. Behavior that is not Christ-like. That Jesus loved us while we were yet sinners, Right? While we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And he says, will you give up your rights for the sake of your brothers and your sisters to be a blessing to them? Romans chapter 14, verse 13 through 19. In fact, if you're taking notes, we're going to read this together. The supporting passage to this is actually 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse, chapter 8 through chapter 10. And we're not going to read all of that today but if you want to read that this week i encourage you to do that but romans chapter 14 starting verse 13 therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another that's good right there right that 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 just hits us right between the eyes instead make up your mind make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as as unclean, then for him, it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother from whom Christ died. Verse 16 Do not allow uh, what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, 
peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and what? Mutual edification. What does that mean? Building up. Building up. You've heard the word edifice, right? It's a building. It's the, 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 the front of the building. Edification is a building, off, a building up of each other into the body of Christ. Mutual edification. What, what does mutual mean? That you have a responsibility to each other. That it's not just for you. That it's not just for you. That church isn't a place where you just come to receive. And then that's it. I've mentioned this before. In my years of ministry, and you've probably heard it too. People say, well, I don't go to that church anymore. Why not? Well, I just wasn't being fed. I just wasn't being fed. I'm like, well, doesn't matter where you go. In fact, when we were in staff at a church called Florence Avenue, Paul Risser was our senior pastor, and um, he's just a funny guy. I've, I've talked about him before, neat, neat man of God. There's a lady that came to the church one day, and, and she, she came up after the service and said, Pastor Risser, I just loved your message. It just really spoke to me. And he said, well, that's great. And she said, it's my first time here. I've been looking for a new church. And, um, but, you know, my, my old church, I just wasn't being fed. And, and your message just really spoke to me. And he said, well, where did you go to church before? And she goes, oh, it's at, at this church called EV Free. And the pastor was a man named Chuck Swindoll. And I love Paul Risser. He's just as blunt as anything. He says, listen, if you weren't receiving anything from Chuck Swindoll, I guarantee you're not going to get anything here. He said it to her just, just like that. See, because it's not about us just receiving. God, does God want you to receive? Absolutely. But if that is your soul posturing, there's going to be a point where you're saturated. It's like a sponge that just gets to a point it can't take any more water. And so whatever you're pouring in is just, pour, just running off. God says we're supposed to receive from him and then wring that out on other people. And go back for more so we can go do more ministry and be a more of a blessing. But we reach this point where we're, we're saturated and we can't receive anymore. All right, back to Romans. What's this deal with food? And why is Paul talking about food? In Corinthians, what was going on in the Corinthian church is that there's this division, this argument had come up. See, because what would happen in, in, in Corinth is that people would buy meat and they would take it and they would sacrifice it at the temple. And it was good meat. And they would bring it as an offering. It wasn't a Christian deal. This is a pagan ritual. Well, what ended up happening after the, 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 the meat had been brought and offered, the temple would end up selling the meat. I'm, I'm all about discounted meat, right? Meat's expensive. If I can find a good deal on meat, I'm there. I'm there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump all over that because I like, I, I've got a smoker. I want to get the choice, choice pieces of meat in that thing, but I don't want to spend an arm and a leg on this stuff. What was happening in Corinth is that people discovered, the believers discovered, hey, I can go down, right, to, to the temple meat market, and I can pick up some really good meat at a bargain. And so the believers were going, and they're coming, and they're buying this meat, and they're bringing it back, and they're preparing it, and they're having a great meal. But, but what started happening is that there were new believers who were coming to the church. We start partaking in these meals, and then they start asking, well, oh, where'd you get the meat? I went down to the temple meat market, and here's this brother who says, you know, just last week, I was one of the people bringing in that offering. And I'm, I'm struggling with the idea that I'm eating meat that was formerly sacrificed to idols. And Paul starts to, now, it sounds, it sounds silly to us, but it was a big deal in Corinth, so much so that three chapters of Corinthians is dedicated, 1 Corinthians is dedicated to this. See, because this argument arose that basically went like this. The meat-eating people start going, hey, it's my right to eat meat because I'm free in Jesus. Those, those stupid idols, they have no power over me. It's just meat and cheap meat, and it's good. 
And I'm free, Paul says it in Galatians. It's for freedom, right? That you've been set free. I, it's my right to eat this meat because I am free in Christ. And Paul would say to them, amen, you are free. But man, if that brother is coming into your home and he's struggling and he's wrestling over whether or not this is okay, and it's reminding him of a place and a time in his life where he wasn't serving God. And it's causing, it's becoming a stumbling block to him. If you keep eating the meat, he says you're no longer acting in love. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Why? Because love says you give up your rights. You give up your rights I grew up in church. I've grown up in the church. And can I tell you, as I look back on my life, things I experienced as a kid that I didn't really understand, but I could tell that things were not right around me in the church. And now that I have some distance and time and maturity to look back, I'm like, oh, we were getting hung up about things. There were issues that were coming up in the church that were causing division that should never have caused Division. You know that the enemy brings division in the simple things, right? It's not, it's not going to be the question of whether or not Jesus is our Savior. He's not going to touch that, at least not here, because we're like, no way, get out of here. But it becomes these little things that the enemy introduces into the mix. And so we have to, as a church, be able to stand. Why do I say the, the first, day we, we, first way we minister to each other is being sensitive, being aware of our conscience? See, because I, I'm going to allow myself, my conscience, the Holy Spirit moving in me to be more sensitive to what your needs are than what my needs are. That I'm going to deny myself so that I'm a blessing to you. I want to show you three circles that helps unpack this a little bit. The first is this. The inner circle would be this. Biblical core. Biblical core. Things that we would say in the Word of God are non-negotiable. There is one God, one Father, one Son, one Spirit, right? It's Ephesians chapter 4, the first part of that passage. It's all about the unity of the, the Godhead. Non-negotiable. Those things that the Word of God says, hey, this is acceptable and this is not. The things that, that the Word of God is absolutely clear on, right? Biblical core, which, by the way, in the world today, those things are even being challenged, right? Things that Scripture is clear about and people are like, well, we won't go there too far, but, but we recognize those things are under attack as well. But for those of us who, uh, who say, you know what? I'm, I'm working, I'm striving to align my, my life with the Word of God. That there is a biblical core that exists, and it's a non-negotiable for us. See, but then what happens is that there's a second circle that comes in, and it's called personal convictions and traditions. Personal convictions and traditions. What's a personal conviction? Well, years ago... I was spending time with the Lord. I was in the Word. I was doing my devotions, and God spoke to me, and he said, and I'll pick on something that's kind of a hot top, hot button, button item in the church today. The Lord spoke to me, and he said, I don't want you consuming any kind of alcohol. And it was just that clear. God said, that's not for you. And so in my life, I've now, I have this conviction that says, I don't drink alcohol. You know, the Bible doesn't say don't drink alcohol. The Bible says don't get drunk. Now, I grew up in a very conservative church and home environment where, man, if you drank alcohol, you were going to hell. Like, it was, it was that big of a deal. Imagine my surprise when I find out that's not true. Why? Because someone at some point had taken a personal conviction or a tradition and made it a biblical core. They try and forced it force it from this outer circle into this inner circle. And people get beat up. See, because if it's not explicitly expressed in Scripture as being off limits, and God says, okay, there's, there's going to be some freedom in this area. Now, if God has spoken to you and said, hey, that is a hands-off thing for you, 
then if you violate that before the Lord, then you're walking in sin because it's something that God has expressly said to you. But I can't then come to you and say, listen, you can't drink alcohol. Why not? Because God told me I can't drink alcohol. Well, that doesn't make sense. If, you can't, if I can't do it, you can do it. No, 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 no. What, is, what does God's word say? Now, just to be clear, when it comes to the issue of alcohol, um, it's, it's playing with fire, right? Can we be just honest about that? That we live in a culture that doesn't do well with alcohol. It's not something that we, we tend to win in. And I, and I will not stand at this, from this pulpit and say, hey, don't or don't do, do, do or do not. I, I enjoy a glass of wine with dinner. But because of what God has said and because of my role in leadership as a part of this church, I want to say, Lord, I, I give up that right. And I would rather deny my flesh and be a blessing to the body than just say, hey, you deal with your own convictions. I'm going to do, do this for myself. And so you have to come back to the Word of God. Traditions in church. Man, we talk about tradition. So much of what we deal with in church is tradition. The way that this room is set up right now is tradition. Because, because the early church didn't do this. They hung out in someone's house, and there were people reclining and sitting, and right? People falling out of windows. No, that's, that's another story. That's in the Bible, if you're, if you're wondering. Look it up. So much of what we deal with is traditions. The way we dress, we have terms like, well, you better put on your Sunday best. Tradition. Now, do we want to honor the Lord? Absolutely. But it's just tradition. It's not biblical core. And if we don't keep that centered, if we don't keep that focused, what we do is we bring our traditions... And we impose them on people and say, listen, come just as you are. Come just as you are, but dress a certain way, (laughs) right? And people walk in and go, I feel so out of place. I feel so out of place. Oh, there's a story I want to tell, but I'm not going to. We're going to keep going. All right. Third circle, third circle, personal preferences. Personal preferences. And I want to tell you, this is where the water gets the most muddy. The, the water, and, and there's all kinds of places. I'll pick on worship, though. Worship. If it's not this, it's not worship. If it's not a hymn, it's not worship. I recently had a college student say, you know, I was just, and, and just with the right heart and the right attitude, but it was like, you know, I just miss some of the older worship songs. I just felt like they were just so right on. And then she made a reference to the songs from the late 80s and early 90s. And I was like, <laughs> like, Lord, I lift your name on high is now like hymn status. If, if it's not this, if there's no organ, there is a season in the church. Man, if you remove the organ, it's like the Holy Spirit just left. And if worship doesn't look like this, and then we flip to the other extreme, right? Well, hey, if, if there's lights and sound and, and, and screens, well, that's not worship. That, that's a concert. That's not worship. You know what that is? It's your preference. It's your personal preference, and that's okay. If you love listening to second chapter of Acts on your cassette tape, some of you will get that reference. That's awesome. Right? And if some of you are like David Crowder fans or, you know, or whatever the latest indie worship is, great. But when we start taking our preference and say, this is the way it needs to be done, because if it's not this, it's not worship, people get beat up. And God says, what you're doing is just garbage. Don't lift those hands to me in worship if you're beating your brother and sister down saying what they're doing is not worship. God's not okay with that. And so we have to look at our lives and the influence we have of people and say, what in my life is preference? What is conviction or tradition? And what is biblical core? Because the only thing we should be giving to people is biblical core. 
It should be the only place that we're just pouring into their lives. Because in the other areas, we risk, run the risk of not building up. So we consider our conscience and we put people ahead of ourselves and say, how can I be a blessing to you? Second thing is this, by speaking God's inspired words. So if biblical core is where we land, that means that God will speak to you on behalf of other people. God will speak to you. He will give you words, God-inspired words, to share with other people. We'll use the word prophecy. Prophecy. And I want us to unpack that a little bit. I want to make sure that we leave with a clear understanding of, of what that looks like. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this. Follow the way of love. Follow the way of, let's say it together, love. I'm going to read it again. When I get to love, just shout love, all right? Follow the way of love. love. Paul always leads with love because if we don't have love, we got nothing. And eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Let me ask you, when's the last time you were like desiring the gift of prophecy? Because if you haven't, you need to. Because Paul's like, he's writing this letter to the whole church. It's not just to the leaders. He's saying to everyone, eagerly desire the gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. For he speaks in a tongue that edify in a tongue when he he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies who? The church. Edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Paul's saying, listen, don't, don't un- misunderstand my words. I'm saying you, you need to speak in tongues. This is an important thing. You need, to, you need to speak in tongues. God has given this to you. And we'll cover that uh, here in a few weeks. We're going to talk about spiritual gifts. We'll unpack tongues. Maybe for you right now, you're like, oh, you just went to tongues. <laughs> right, listen, it's in the Bible, so we need to talk about it. And it's a blessing for the church. All right, so, so don't let that be a distraction. It's an important part of our lives as believers. But Paul says, I would rather have you prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than uh, one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. Why? So that the church may be edified, the church may be built up. God wants to give you words to speak into the lives of people around you. Building up the body is a priority for the Lord. It is his priority that we would build each other up, that we would speak life-giving words into each other, that we would speak scripture over each other, that we would call out the things of God in each other's lives, that he's given us to each other for that purpose. But it has to be done in love. It has to be done in love. Again, I grew up in church, and I've seen it done in amazing ways, people being built up. And then I've witnessed drive-by prophecy that leave people bleeding on the sidewalk. And the prophet's out the door going, hey, I got this thing for you. Boom. See ya. That we bear a responsibility to each other to share the word of God in a way that builds up and doesn't tear down. Right? Not this ambush style approach where I'm like, hey, I've got something and, and, and I've, it's in the Bible, right? Right? It's in the Bible, so I'm just going to share this. Hey, I'm going to, usually if it's prefaced with, hey, the Bible says that I need to speak the truth in love, so I've got this word for you. If they have to preface it, usually it's not going to go the way that you want it to go. It should already be there. It should be assumed. We have a responsibility. And when we engage in that responsibility, when we ask the Lord to give us words, God-inspired words for each other, oh, the difference we can make. 
the difference that we can make in each other's lives. My prayer, my hope is that every one of you have been on the receiving end of an encouragement from a brother in the sister or a sister in the Lord who's given you a prophetic word, a word from God that, that is timely, that is right on, that is exactly what you needed to hear in that moment. When I was a, a high school student, I was a part of a youth group, um, and my youth pastor at the time, I don't even remember his name, um, but he wrote me a letter, and, and I read it, and, and I was a teenager, and I was like, okay, cool. And he had said some cool things in it while my mom kept it. And years later, when I got to Bible college, she pulled that letter out, and she said, you need to read this. And I went back and reread that letter, and this, this youth pastor was prophesying over my life. He was calling things out that he saw in my life that were so right on that as a, as a teenager, as a high school student, psh, I didn't see it. I, didn't, I was like, well, that sounds good. That sounds cool. But now I'm in Bible college, and there's a call on my life, and God has said, hey, I've set you apart for the ministry, and now I'm reading these words going, whoa, that's cool. How did he know? Right? God's like, because I'm going to give words to you for other people that will speak into the reality of their lives, into the situations of their lives, and bring life. I got to serve for a while with a guy who had been on the receiving end of a prophetic word that wasn't given responsibly. He was an incredible musician and uh, primarily a drummer, phenomenal drummer. But he was given the opportunity to lead worship at his church when he was younger. And, and he got up and he sang. And, and, uh, and at the end of it, someone came up and just in the spur of the moment said, wow, that was really great. I really believe God's called you to be a worship leader. He spent the next, well, when I met him, it had been like about 15 years pursuing being a worship leader. But here's the problem. Dude can sing. Like off key, like just couldn't sing. Great musician. And so when he always came back to, but God gave me this word that I was going to be a worship leader. And so every opportunity for leadership that wasn't worship leading, he despised. He did it reluctantly, but he was always wanting to be the worship leader. And our pastoral team's just going, we're not going to make you a worship leader because you can't sing. But yeah, but God gave me this word. Can I tell you that we have to be so careful with the words and the things that we say and the way that we say it so that people are built up. There is a responsibility. So I want to close with this. How do you share a word with someone? Maybe you've never gone down that road. Maybe you've never been received a word that you feel like you need to give to someone. Maybe you have received a word and you're like, I'm not going to say that. There's no way. And so you held on to it, kind of wish you had, but never did. And maybe this is an area that you're comfortable in. And if you are, then great. Then let me help shape that a little bit even more in your life. Few, few quick things. Don't rush. You feel like God is giving you a word for someone? Don't rush. Don't be in a hurry to just offload it on them. Because I think sometimes God will give you a word for someone that you're not actually supposed to say out loud. It's one that you're supposed to take to prayer. And rather than just running in and going, hey, God, give me this word. And they're like, whoa, I wasn't ready to receive that. And God's like, yeah, and I didn't ask you to give it. And you were in such a hurry to seem like the prophet that you missed what I was whispering don't rush. Ask yourself, is this the right time to share this? Just wrestle with it. Wrestle with it a little bit. Is this an appropriate thing to share? Is it the right place? Is it the right place? Is it the right time? Is the setting right? Life groups. I told you I was going to talk about life groups. Life groups are a great place. It can be a great place. Please don't share a word for someone out loud that's supposed to be shared in private. 
Think about these things as you encounter, as you engage this. Check your own heart and motives. Check your own heart. I have seen prophetic words given to people that were more self-serving than they were a blessing to the other person. And that's never fun. That's never, it's exactly that, Aaron. (laughs) Right? It just leaves you like, okay, wait, you're trying to manipulate something here. And, And that's not the heart of God. It doesn't build up. Check your heart. Check your motives. Consider the recipient. Consider the recipient. Who are they? What are their struggles? What's going on in their lives? Does this word line up with what you know of what's going on in their lives? Because if, man, if it comes out of left field, it's probably out of left field. Don't share it. Sit on it. Hang on to it for a while. Ask, will this build them up or tear them down? And if you don't know, don't share. If you don't know, don't share. Ask yourself this, is it loving? Is what I'm about to say to this person, is it loving? Speak the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. Sometimes we default on, we, we, we lean too much on the truth side and not enough on the love side. God says, speak the truth in love. Is this loving? And always, 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 always share a word with humility. I love to do this. I'll go up to someone and say, listen, I believe the Lord has a word for you. And this is what he's putting on my heart. And I might be way off. I might be way off base. So if this doesn't resonate with you, give them an out. But man, when we come up to someone and we're like, I have a thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord over your life that you will. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> well, if God, if it's a thus saith the Lord, then how can I even... I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me, and it's not what God's been speaking to me. But I guess if they hurt, no. Because here's what I know of the heart of God. He loves you, considers you a son and a daughter, and he will speak it to you first before he speaks it to someone else. That prophecy will always affirm and confirm what God's already speaking to you. And I just ask you and encourage you, if you ever receive a word from someone, someone comes to you and says, hey, I believe God's saying this about your life, and it takes you in a completely different direction than you've ever been going or ever wanted to go, it's probably not from the Lord. I would so go so far as to say it's not from the Lord. That God's, God cares enough to speak to you directly first. All right? And give place for follow-up. That's why I talk about the drive-by, right? Drive-by is like, here you go, and I'm out the door, and there's no responsibility. But man, if I have a word for Andrew, what I want to do then is be responsible enough to follow up maybe the next week and go, hey, that word that I shared, what's God been speaking? And you won't believe it, the next day I went to work, and then this happened, and that word was like exactly right for that moment. Man. What's happening? We're being built up. That's God's desire, that we would be that kind of gift to each other. Can we stand together as we close? Jesus said this. He didn't come to be served, but to do what? To serve. And when I am considerate of others, when I consider their needs, their weaknesses, what they're going through, And when I speak God-inspired words into and over people's lives, what we're doing is serving them, serving each other, building building them up. So I'm going to ask again, how can the grace of God in your life, what you've received, the grace apportioned, measured to you, how can it be a blessing? in equipping those around you for the works of the ministry. It's important. It's critical that we engage with this because we need each other. I need you and you need me and the people around you need you to be that in their lives. 
That's why Hebrews says, don't give up meeting together. Why is it important to be at church? Because when you're not here, it's not just about the fact that you're not filling a seat or you're not here to receive something. If you're not here, you're not here to give something. And that doesn't mean don't ever miss church. But I think we live in a world where it's too easy to miss church. It's too easy to say, hey, I've got other things going on. And God's like, no, I need you to be in the place where God's people are being equipped for God's work. Because you get to be a part of the equipping. The Hebrews, right? Right of Hebrews says, hey, these guys were dealing with it. We deal with it. But we have to make those things a priority in our lives. So, Father, this morning, equip us to be equippers. Empower us to speak life and be a blessing. Lord, help us to lead always with a biblical core and not with preference or tradition. So, Lord, that the mature believer can be built up even more and the person who doesn't even know you yet can receive freely what you have without any condemnation. Cause us to be a body, Lord, who's faithful who will be found faithful in serving one another just as you came to serve us. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our worship, I mean, our prayer team is going to come forward if you'd like to receive prayer uh, for this, what we've been talking about this morning or anything else. We'd love the opportunity to pray with you. Otherwise, would you have an amazing week? Invite someone to lunch today.